You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Johnny. Guys, it's been uh, ladies. You're not guys. Hey, I hope that you guys uh, can become comfortable being uncomfortable. We are going to be a praying church. We've been talking about this for a long time. And so our hope is as we kind of stretch our prayer legs during service in those moments that seem too long. If you actually looked at your watch, you'd probably be shocked at how little time we're actually praying. But my hope is that we'll become very comfortable in those moments where we are seeking God's face for not just what he wants to do in the world, but what he wants to do in our own hearts, right? Because if we're not paying attention to that, then we'll miss a lot. Uh, This is one of my favorite places, this specific place, because it's family, right? The living room. Uh, I'm trying to get a name to stick to this room. I want to call it the living room because I really want it to be like family, sitting in a living room, knowing God's word, knowing one another, and learning together how we can change the world uh, for the name of Jesus. That's the plan. Uh, If there's another plan, I haven't been told about it yet. We're going to continue in our study in um, Matthew. It will be in chapter 7. And uh, Sermon on the Mount. It's been a really great study. We've got a few more weeks to go leading into Christmas. And we're going to be talking about one verse today. It's going to be the most uncomfortable one-verse sermon you've ever heard. Not because, hopefully not because I'm the one giving it, but because of what it says and what it means for us uh, to live differently once we hear it. That's the goal, right? If you come to church hoping to hear a real tight, feel-good message that you're not supposed to do anything with, you should stop going to church. Because the word is meant to put into practice so that we can look more like Jesus every day. And that's what we're going to try to accomplish today, okay? Um, The first time I heard this verse, this is a very well-known verse. The first time I heard this verse was not in church. I was little. I was actually in a public elementary school of all places where I heard this Bible verse. Remember that? And it it was implied... And it was known that I was supposed to not just know it, but do it. There was very clear that I was supposed to put this into practice as a little elementary school person. Uh, In fact, uh, when I heard it, it sounded good to me. You know, the golden rule. It's better than the silver rule. Better than the bronze rule. The golden rule must be important. And you guys know what it is, right? When you say you could go out on the streets and find people, when you say, what's the golden rule? And they will say... You did better than last hour. Last hour, they got through the first half and they stopped. I don't, maybe they didn't know the second part. Right, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I remember it being like this thing. I was like, oh yeah. And then I grew up a little bit and you know what I realized? They were just trying to get me to be good. Those teachers got me. You ever wonder if we take the Bible sometimes and we use it as a means to modify the behavior of other people? Come on now, this is we, listen, parents, I apologize, but I'm gonna throw you under the bus. We as parents do this all the time. We'll use scriptures in order that we would try to get our kids to be better kids, right? Did you know that behavior modification is not the point of the Bible? <laughs> now, teenagers, before you go home and be like, I told you, I knew you were up to something. Before you get all crazy on your parents, You do the same thing. 
In fact, you'll use this scripture, doing to others as you would have them doing to you, as a means to get people to give you what you want. We do this all the time, right? Well, if I'll just do this, it's the, it's the, it's the spiritual reverse psychology tool that we use the most. If I just do this, well, then they're probably going to do this back. And that's actually what I want. So I'll do it even though I don't mean it, but I'm going to do this so that, and so that they'll do what I want them to do. We do it in our marriages, don't we? Ladies, we do it in our marriage to try to get your husbands to behave themselves. And we, listen, fair enough. We have a lot of behavior to get modified. Can I get an amen from some of the men in the room? I'll throw myself under the bus. That's fine. Man, we do the same thing all the time. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. With the, the point is not that we're doing it for their benefit, but for ours, right? And we take this scripture, this specific scripture out of context. And we've been taught this in our own lives. And we teach our kids this. And you know, the problem is, is that when they grow up, they're gonna get really confused about who God is and what's expected of us as his people. Because they'll start to believe that if they're just good enough, God will love them more, right? And we begin to teach people inadvertently, especially our kids, that scriptures like this are a means for us to be better rather than to be more like Jesus and to be fully surrendered to him and his will. I told you, one verse, it's gonna be fun. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, but I want to do it in context because taking one verse out of context, you know how that goes. That's never good. That's not going to be helpful. So we've been talking about the last few weeks about judgment of others, godly discernment, right, AK? And then there's this thing that Jesus snuck in there about prayer. And at first glance, it can look kind of out of place. You're like, we're talking about judging others. We're talking about discernment and then prayer and then do unto others. And so it seems like it's weird, but there's a purpose in it. So let's, let's look at where we've been. The Beatitudes, we know the Beatitudes at the beginning, salt and light, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, loving your enemies, giving and prayer and fasting, where we put our treasure, what are we seeking after, what do we worry about? And then he goes into judging others, chapter seven. Don't judge others or you'll be judged, right? Why do you look at the speck? Remember that one? I didn't like that sermon either, just to be honest. And then he says, ask, seek, and knock. Do you know why he put the prayer in there? Because you and I are fundamentally incapable of doing what we're supposed to do without help from God. And he says, look, all these things that you realize that you're failing at, the only way that we can actually have the righteousness of Christ is to have Christ. And when we still fail, because we're human beings still, you need to ask God. He says in James, he says it here in Matthew, if you lack something, wisdom, judgment, discernment, you need to ask God in order to help you and give you what you need in order to do what he's asking you to do. So it's not really out of place when you put it into context. And then he says this, I'm gonna start in verse nine. Which of you, if he has a son, if he asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, this statement is not the 
the, the sum total of all of our Christian faith or truth. It's not God's plan for redemption. And we shouldn't build our theology on the golden rule any more than we should build our astronomy on twinkle, twinkle, little star. I didn't make that up. That Somebody wrote that. I totally ripped it off. I thought it was funny, so I told you. It's not the gospel, but it points to the gospel. It's not the foundation of all truth, but it points to the foundation of all truth. This idea that how we treat others and our attitude toward others says a lot about where we're living and what we believe about God and other people. And it's meant for believers and it's meant to be a guiding principle in every area of our life. So let's read it. I want to read it the way that you normally read it, whether you want to admit it or not. Just let's, let's, maybe some of you, and maybe some of you don't read it this way, but other people that are around you might read it like this. So in everything, as long as it's easy and it serves my purpose, do to others the things that you want them to get for you and do for you, for yourself. But that's not what it actually says. Let's break it down. We're gonna take it a little bit by little bit. So, or therefore, because of all these things we've been reading about, in everything, so in everything, what does that mean, everything? This is one of those real easy ones that I can get real heady and like academic with the Greek and like the root words. But at the end of the day, it still just means everything, right? In everything, so in everything, what does that mean? So in the way that you speak to your spouse, so in everything, in the way that you respond to the failures of others, in everything, in every, when you drive. Now listen, I, I feel like I have to confess every time I bring this up. Because doing to others what I, for me, I'm just like, get out of the way already. Like the worst drivers, I mean, are you serious? Like to apply this scripture is a daily struggle in the car rider line when you merge one after another. Good God of heaven and earth. The idea of merging cars is not that difficult. I'm already getting fired up about it. You go, then I go. Then they go, the next. It's real simple. But then you get the one guy, right, who is like trying to shoot two cars ahead and it gums up the whole thing. In everything. At the grocery store. You know the one weird checker that you get? You know, and you, all your grocery stores have one. In fact, you don't go to their line on purpose. So in everything, right? Or you've got that one coworker? Uh-huh. That one coworker. Or that one kid? That friend? Or a frenemy? I know all the lingo of the day. I'm hipping with it, y'all. So in everything, so in the words that we use, in the responses that we have, 
in the actions that we do, so in everything, in the looks, in the looks. Listen, I don't want to, I threw the men under the bus one time. Ladies, look at me. Listen, the looks, I'm not even talking about towards me or other guys. I'm talking about one another. The looks, so in everything, right? That ju- judgment, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So in everything, it's, it's total in all the areas, in all the conversations. He says, do to others. There's an action involved, do. It doesn't say sit back and hope. It doesn't say pray about it. Do to others. There's an action involved, right? That we have to act on it in everything, in the car rider line, so in everything, what is my do for the day? It is to not run that person off the road. When you're getting your kids ready for church in the morning, I don't care if you go as a fairy princess, just put on your clothes. You, five steps, we're leaving, whether you're dressed or not. Right, or maybe you woke up this morning, you're still mad from last night. What's the do? So in everything, do to others. He said that again. She just won't let it go. Last hour, I had somebody amening off in the woods, and I was like, I swear, nobody told me anything, but I was, apparently, she, I, there was something going on. <laughs> See, because we have this, it's not a unique human experience. We all have these things that we have to do unto others. And it encompasses our whole life. Or how about the responses that we give, right? So in everything due unto others, when we respond to somebody's failure, how many of you have only sinned one time in your whole life? Somebody raise them real high for me. Put them up there. Good, because I've sinned more than that. In fact, were I to put a list together for you of all of the sins that I have committed today, it would outweigh all of the grains of the sand on the seashore. So for me, that puts me in a place, right? And you can understand what he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. There is this relational um, interaction that we have with each other that God, that Jesus here is trying to get us to understand because it is affected by our relationship and interaction with God the Father. I want you to think about the week that you've had. And I want you to think about for me all the ways in which God has responded and dealt with you. What has he done unto you this week? What has God done unto you this week? In your failures, in your sin, in your inability to be perfect, What has God done unto you in your life period? In Christ? For eternity? And I want you just to hold on to that for a quick sec. I want you to hold on to that. Because Jesus says something interesting at the end here. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. It doesn't say so that they will do what you want them to. 
It's simply the responsibility lies on the person, on your doing, and it has nothing to do with how they respond because there's a risk involved, right? There's a risk involved in doing unto others what you would have them do unto you is that they won't reciprocate, that they'll reject you, that they will um, persecute you even. That's the risk. That's the cost. The cost of doing unto others what you would have them do unto you is that they won't reciprocate. See, because we have an expectation that if I'll do the right thing, they're gonna do the right thing too and we'll all be happy and we'll skip down the road with rainbows and fairies and it's gonna be perfect. And we know very early on from the early, early ages that just because you do the right thing doesn't mean everybody else will. And so begins our journey of disappointment and frustration and hurt. And what we do with all of those things actually matters. In fact, this is what Jesus is talking about. It's what Jesus is trying to teach us in the word and throughout scripture. That life is disappointing. There is hurt. There will be frustration. He, none of that is qualified in this statement. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. It doesn't say do to others as long as it works for you. Do to others what you would have them do to you when it's easy or when it's fair. Do to others what you would have them do to you because they deserve it. That's not in there. And here's why that's important. Jesus says at the very end, he says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And there's two other times where we hear that same phrase. One's earlier in Matthew chapter five, where he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets, to make it whole, to do all of the things that it is required. In fact, the righteousness that I have is what you need to be with God. And then he says it in Matthew 22, where he's given this question. He said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to stump Jesus. It's a bad game to play. They're trying to stump Jesus and they say, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. In so doing, you fulfill all the law and prophets. They, they hang on this truth. You're like, man, this fulfilling the law and prophets is a big deal. And it looks like we can be a part of that, but it's all wrapped up and found in Jesus. All of it. Our ability to fulfill the law and prophets isn't about our ability. It's about his ability because it's already been finished. And when we have Christ in us, we can do what he wants us to do. Remember when I told you to take a, take a picture of your whole week and figure out how God has done unto you and why that's important? When we have harsh, unkind, unrelenting, unforgiving, unmerciful responses to one another, and we do unto one another hurtful, unkind, unmerciful, unforgiving acts, it is because we have lost our understanding of our standing with God in Christ. Here's an example. Jeremiah fails, he falters, and I just blast him. I do unto him not what I would have him do to me, but instead I just rip into him. If I had two seconds to think about the last time I failed, which was five minutes ago, I would remember that God dealt with my failure differently. Right? He dealt with my failure differently. I deserve death, but I've been given life. 
I deserve judgment, but I've been given forgiveness and mercy. I deserve brokenness and he's given me healing. So when he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you and so fulfill all the prophets, he's saying, look, I've shown you the way. I want you to do what I've done for you. When your wife uh, gives you that look, instead of responding like you normally do, understanding that you have given God that look a hundred times. And how did he respond to you? With compassion. When he failed you again, how many times has God brought you back in to his presence because of Jesus? See, the cross, the resurrection are all that we need to remember what he has done for us. And in so doing, teenagers, I know you're in a room. You can't hide. When your parents fail and they're not enough, you have to remember you're not enough either. And God loves you anyway. God's given you hope anyway. See, when we judge, going back to the previous passage, we judge and we are unmerciful. It's because we've forgotten that God did unto us not what we deserve or because we were going to reciprocate, but simply because he loved us. It shows the measure of love that we have for God and others when we do unto them what we would have them do to us, regardless of whether they will reciprocate. His love, remember, was not conditional. His love was not based on your willingness to come back. It was simply that he loved you and wanted to pursue you and give you hope in a future that he did it. Do unto others in everything, in our words and actions, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Not as a means to make people better morally. That's a losing pursuit but so that we'll look more like Jesus. So we'll look more like Jesus. I love this scripture that Johnny read in Ephesians. Man. How does this verse play out? He does not qualify those things like we talked about. Let's go on. Let's talk about our online conversations. I bring this up a lot because we haven't, we haven't getting any better, so I might as well keep talking about it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, online. We bicker and fight about stupid, meaningless things. Don't say that word. Apologize. But I'm going to repeat it for, just because for, it needs to be repeated. Stupid, meaningless things. All so that we can be right. Do unto others. It does not say do unto others so you can be right. Do unto others what you would have them do to you. If we applied that to our online conversation, well, I wonder what, we could get rid of all of our accounts. We wouldn't have anything to talk about. We wouldn't. We'd be so nice to each other. Like, man, this is lame. How anybody to fight with today? I mean, think about it. Really, think about it. Do unto others 
Do unto others at the breakfast table, at the dinner table. What if the, oh, Thanksgiving with the in-laws. Maybe just with your family is enough. I don't, maybe you don't need in-laws to make Thanksgiving crazy. Do unto others. What if this year you did unto others what you would have them do to you? Not so that they'll reciprocate, but because it's the right thing to do in Christ. What would Thanksgiving look like? This is how it applies. I'm talking about real life applications like today. At lunch, when you go to lunch and you've still been mad from last week's fight, do unto others. The mercy you've been shown by God in Christ, show mercy. The forgiveness that you have been shown through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, offer the forgiveness. God, I want to be forgiven over and over, don't you? I know I'm forgiven eternally by Jesus, but every day I need that same forgiveness. It's not like we accept Christ and we're perfect, not on this side of heaven. Do unto others. How how would you want to be treated if you failed? Look at all the scriptures we talk about, murder, adultery, divorce, not keeping oaths. You failed, you didn't keep your word. How do you want somebody to treat you? You want forgiveness. You want somebody to cut you some slack. Now, I recognize there's judgment and discernment, somebody taking advantage of you and those sorts of things. Do unto others in everything what you would have them do to you. I wonder what this church would look like if we did unto others. I wonder what if in everything would look like when we as a people made a change. Now I'll tell you this. It's not about trying harder. You can go today, I'm just determined, I'm gonna try harder to do this. It won't work. You need the power of God's spirit and you need Jesus. You cannot do it on your own, period. It's impossible. So we have to come to know Jesus. We have to come to understand if you don't understand the gospel, you'll never know how to treat others as you would have, do you want to be treated? Because you won't recognize the level of grace and mercy that we have in Jesus to offer that to anybody else. My hope is today, if you don't know Jesus, that you come and find out. That you find out. And if you do know Jesus, don't wait. Let today be the day that you do unto your spouse, that you do unto your children, teenagers, that you do unto your parents, that you do unto that kid on the football field or or whatever. Do it different. With the help of God's spirit, through the love that has been shown you through Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection. It is our intention to continue to be a people of prayer and to grow together. Our small body of Christ is gonna grow to be like Jesus. We have to. We cannot be a people who come once a week and hope we feel better about ourselves and just keep living however we want. We have to be more like Jesus. It's a crazy, crazy world. Life change won't happen if we don't allow God to change us first. I want to be a part of the work. Do you? I want to be a part of the work with God. 
I don't want to be, I want to be a sideline observer. I want to be a participant in the miraculous supernatural power of God at work in the world. And it will come through full, complete submission and obedience to God. Not behavior modification of one another. Let's pray together, huh? Father, we are thankful that you love us in this season of thanksgiving. God, that breath in our lungs. God, that we'd be grateful for that and that we would see people differently just like you do. God, we thank you for the forgiveness of Jesus shown through the cross, the power of the resurrection that gives us eternal hope, eternal life. God, I pray you'd stir in our hearts, those who don't know you, that you'd stir in their hearts and draw them to yourself. We'd like to be a part of that, God. I thank you for my friends. We're grateful, God, that you are patient with us and kind and gentle and good, merciful. You show self-control. You do not pour your wrath out on us, but on your son. We're thankful. God, we want to look more like Jesus and less like the world, and we need your help. We sit before you as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, asking for you to do a good work in us. We're going to finish our services we always do, which is uh, with prayer. So have some folks come up. They can come up now if you're in the room. If you need prayer for anything, we believe it works. We believe God's listening and that he wants to be involved in your life. So we're going to have some folks come up to pray. You're welcome to come up and pray. Uh, if you don't know Jesus and you want to, it'd be love to talk to you about that too. Uh, and then in a moment, we're going to finish out our service. So let's pray together. You guys can stand as we do that.